Welcome to the 1717 Podcast, a ministry of Roseville Baptist Church with Pastor Jackie Hill. There is no such thing as your truth and my truth. There is only truth and untruth. And Pastor Derek Ambrose. We have to stop searching for truth in our culture when God's already given us the answer. Jackie and Derek answer important questions with the truth of God's Word. In John 17, 17, Jesus prayed, Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Here's your host, Derek Ambrosen. Hello, everyone, and welcome into episode 61 of the 1717 Podcast. I'm Pastor Derek Ambrosen, and I'm joined by Pastor Jackie Hill. Jackie, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing really good. You know, my leg is, is getting better. I thank the Lord for the thing called physical therapy, and uh, so I started that last week, and Took some small steps, not giant steps, but some small steps in my recovery, and uh, it's been good, and I'm looking forward to hopefully being able to walk again uh, sometime soon, but uh, just being patient and letting letting God lead me through this process. How are you doing, Derek? Uh, doing doing pretty well. You know, this uh, I told you this week was, uh, was a little tough. Um, my wife's grandpa died mm-hmm. early on in the week, and... Um, you know, the, it was it was a good time with family and stuff, getting to go around that. But I know a tough week for her and and for her side of the family. So uh, anyone listening, uh, you know, we appreciate your prayers there. But um, you know, still doing well. And and I mean, really today, just looking forward to this episode. I mean, you, you just talked about your rehab, taking a, uh, you know, you were intentional in saying a giant step, a, <laughs> a big step forward. Yeah. And and that's because we're going to talk about the the topic that actually one of our, our my youth students had asked me a while ago, Connor. Um, but I know others are wondering too, uh, and that's the question: Who were the Nephilim in the Bible? Now you may be saying, "I have no idea. I've never heard of that before." <laughs> uh, it, it does come on pretty early in in Genesis that we'll talk about, but uh, viewed as as giants, this is kind of where Goliath came from. And so, just want to give you guys a little bit of a definition and and figure out. Who the heck are the Nephilim? Why do they matter? Uh, do they matter? And, and I'll, I'll tell you up front, this was one of the, the tougher shows, I think, as you and I prep for, because most of the, the things that we have, the topics we've done, we have a pretty firm stance, or at least in our prep, end up with a firm stance. And, and this one, uh, not to spoil it too much, but I, I think there's, it's a little bit tougher to have that. And, and that's okay, too. Yeah, for sure. And, and just a side note, because you're going to get into the Hebrew and Greek here in a minute. But uh, the Nephilim is one of those words in Hebrew. Um, there's some words like that in Greek, like baptism, that actually isn't translated. It's transliterated. So they pretty much just take the original language and use that word in the scripture. And the reason for that is because they're uncertain to its exact meaning. Mm. And that's that's why they do that. And so it's hard to translate that into uh, our language. And so they just they transliterate it, take that word that's in that original language and kind of make it where it's pronounced in English or, or whatever. And so that's what Nephilim is. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. So looking at Strong's Bible Dictionary of Hebrew and Greek words, it says the Nephilim, which is uh, comes from the word nephal, which literally means to fall. Uh, you get uh, the, the term the fallen ones or giants when looking at Nephilim. Uh, it's the name of two peoples, one before the flood and one after the flood. Uh, so we'll talk about the differences in those here in just a minute. And it's only used three times in the Old Testament. So just as we go through this, whenever you have a word like this, it's transliterated only three times in the Old Testament. Uh, it's it's a little bit harder to draw some super strong conclusions from 
that usage, which I think you guys are going to find out. But but our hope is that as we walk through it, use the the context of the Bible around it, um, that we can make some pretty good sense of who the Nephilim were. Absolutely. So first we see them in Genesis 6, 4. Now this is uh, just before the flood, after Genesis 5, all about the descendants of Adam and on through and these men who were pursuing the Lord. And then it says, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Yep. So it doesn't give you a lot of context there. Nope. Uh, describing them other than to say that they were mighty and re- men of renown. Yep. Another passage that we see, and you said they only use three times the Old Testament, and that's absolutely true. Um, it's Hebrew, so it's not used in the Newer Testament at all. But in Numbers 13, 32 through 33, we read this. So they brought the people of Israel a bad report. These are the spies, by the way, that were spying out the land of Canaan. They, bought, they brought the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. So we have a descriptor there. Mm-hmm. And it says, there we saw the Nephilim. And then it says, the sons of Anak who came from the Nephilim. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers. So we seem to them. So they're describing the Nephilim, the descendants of Anak as giants. And uh, they were huge height and, and Compared to them, they were just like grasshoppers. The New American Standard Commentary, uh, the CSB, and the International Study Bible Commentaries uh, were some that I consulted. And here's a couple of major schools of thought then when it comes to the Nephilim. The first major school of thought is the supernatural view. And that is that some believe the Nephilim are the offspring produced of women that had children with fallen angels. And that, that comes from that Genesis 6, uh, 4 passage. We'll look at that again. And so that's one explanation of why they have giant size and strength uh, because it's supernatural origin. And the other view is the Sethian view, and that is one of less supernatural origin, but that just holds to the fact that the Nephilim were men who turned their backs on God, and so the sons of God. There we're not referring to angels in Genesis 6, 4, but rather just descendants that were initially godly. They were calling on the name of the Lord and then fell away. And uh, this would be Seth's bloodline, people who rejected uh, God and, and again, that view is the Sethian view, and it was held by people uh, like Augustine mm-hmm. uh, who held that view. So a couple of the big views, and so we're just going to break those down a little bit. And so with that first view, the, the more supernatural view, uh, just reading again in Genesis 6, 1 through 3, uh, I'll, I'll just read the whole context because I didn't read this earlier, but it says, Now it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land, and the daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever because he is also flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. Then again, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old men of renown. Yeah. So when we're reading this, what you see is it's talking about mankind. Mm-hmm. It's talking about um, the the process in which people are multiplying and growing on the face of the earth. It's talking about them disobeying God in so many different ways. And then we have the Nephilim there also afterwards um, when the sons of God came to the daughters of men and bore children to them. But nowhere in there does it indicate that they were 
they were angels. In fact, angels aren't ever mentioned in Genesis to this point. Yeah. Um, so, but, but this view here, the supernatural view is that these were angels and that's where the Nephilim came from because they were the sons of God going into the daughters of men and children were born to them. Even though the, the interesting part, and as we were preparing for this, I think we like to jump to conclusions, which I think is what this, this view does in, in a sense where with the Nephilim being mentioned here, we just naturally assume that they are a result of the sons of God, if those are to be angels at this point, uh, coming into the daughters of men. But it, it doesn't specifically say that. It just says they were on the earth in those days when that was happening. Yes. And then it explains that they were mighty men. So you could make that jump, but when you literally read it word for word the way it is, you get no indication that the Nephilim were even offspring of this um, right, you know, or the result the, of yeah, that. The, yeah. this, this immorality happening. Yeah, because it says there were daughters born to them, and, and then it goes on to say the Nephilim were also in those days. So it's almost like a side note there. But uh, to continue with this view, the reason why this view is, is as it is is because in the book of Job, um, the belief is that angels are referred to as sons of God. So Job 1.6, it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And Job 2.1, similarly, Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And so uh, most scholars do believe that the sons of God here are referring uh, to angels. Mm -hmm. And there's another passage in Job. Yeah, and then Job 38, uh, 4 through 7 says, Where were you? So God's speaking to Job here. Uh, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched a line upon it? On what words base is sunk, or who laid its cornerstone, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Mm. So now you have this, right at the end of that, sons of God shouted for joy, and, and connected with the laying of the foundation of the earth. Mm-hmm. So, you know, w- when you read this, that Job 38 sounds a lot more like these sons of God potentially being angels, because we know at the foundation of the earth there was not yet humans. So either that's angels, or it's, it's figurative language, or maybe it's you know God just making making a point, but not being super strict on the timeline. That I think this is the kind of verse that makes that sons of God thing a little confusing. However, those verses we just read are the only places we see sons of God that way until we start looking at the New Testament, where we're all made sons and daughters of God, um, you know, as being kind of righteous through Him. But yeah. but Old Testament wise, that that's really what you see exactly. And and I think you made a great point in the Newer Testament. We're called children of God, sons of God. Many times, no one thinks it's referring to angels. And I understand that that's Greek and this is Hebrew, but these are the only places in all the Older Testament where you see this terminology used. I think it's also important to note that the Hebrew word here um, for son is used about 3,000 times in the Older Testament, which is a lot. Um, And so it's it's a very commonly used word. And this word uh, is it just, it's Ben, B-E-N is, is the, the uh, transliteration of it. And here's what it can be translated as. Son, grandson, child, member of a group, a youth, a young person, uh, a lifeless thing, a spark, a star, an arrow, a member of a guild, a class of people, a, a class of a of angel, like it can mean all these different things, mm-hmm. and, and that's not that's not an exhaustive list. That's just a, so it can be translated all these different ways. In fact, it is translated many of those different ways, and uh, but the most common one is son, which is why it's translated uh, son here. So I guess what I'm saying is 
that Hebrew word does not indicate necessarily angel. Mm-hmm. In fact, this would be the only place that we would find it that way here in Job and then again there in Genesis. So it, it, to me, there's some holes in that argument that this is angels. I don't want to take a concrete, firm stance on it, um, that it means angels. But here's another verse or two that can give credence to it. So Jude, go to Jude. Uh, and, and Jude, he's talking about godless men. And what he's doing is he's warming warning the people is he's letting them know um, some examples of this in the past and things you need to watch out for. And he even points to Enoch, which would be around the days of Noah. So the same time of frame as this. And what he says in Jude uh, verse six and seven, it says angels who do not keep their own domain, but abandon their proper abode. He has kept an eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and when after strange flesh are exhibited as an example and undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. And so if you read that, it says, okay, well, maybe these fallen angels, they indulged in gross flesh. They indulged in sexual immorality like Sodom and Gomorrah. So that could give credence to the idea that these are angels that had uh, children with women. Um, but that being said, the question is, what is the context of Jude? Who's it talking about? Is it talking about angels or is it talking about ungodly people that are they need to be watching out for? Yeah, and I mean, the, the whole context as you read through it is about these ungodly people. You're right. Um, to the point where, you know, and I think with this context, you're looking at who may be demon-possessed or oppressed or influenced yes. at a minimum and are misguiding or, or misinterpreting the gospel intentionally to mislead people. And, and so with the the point of Sodom and Gomorrah and some of these other ones, you have the rebellion of Korah and others mentioned it's uh, the people of who Cain, yeah, yeah. were perverting the goodness of God, uh, leading other people in that way as well, and then are, are ultimately punished for uh, what they were doing. Right. And and so when it says, since they in the same way indulge in gross immorality, I believe that they is not speaking about the angels, but rather the immoral people, because the entirety of the, of the Jude passage is about these immoral people that he's warning them about. So the they here, I don't believe he's talking about the angels. I think he's talking about the ungodly people. But just to explain, that's one of the reasons why we have this supernatural view is angels being thought of as sons of God in Job, uh, and then Jude even referencing angels, which if not without a careful reading may come across as them being able to have uh, sexual immorality mm-hmm. um, and, and therefore being in change as an example. So that that's kind of the the overview of the supernatural view. We'll come back to it a little bit and as we debate it a little bit more, but wanted to bring up the second view, that being the Sethian view. Uh, and so again, you know, going back to Genesis six, uh, one through three, don't really need to uh, read that one, but the 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 point is what they focus on more is the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful. And so more of the point of the sons of God being the sons of Seth yep. and and his lineage, who was the essentially the replacement for Abel who Cain had killed. And now with the curse of Cain, these were more the the daughters of men. So you have the sons of God who at the end of Genesis four are talked about as uh, men who were seeking the Lord were looking to the Lord, calling upon his name. Yeah. Genesis five of the last yep, part of the, yep. 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 And then uh, they are now seeing these daughters of men who like may have been their own daughters and they are, uh, being twisted, perverted in sexual morality, saw they're beautiful, and now are taking them as wives. And then it specifically says whomever they choose. So you kind of get this idea that this was probably not a mutual thing, maybe more forced, 
but uh, not not the way that God had really intended that to be. And then even from there, it says, the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever because he is also flesh. Nevertheless, his day shall be 120 years. Before that, if you read through Genesis, these, uh, I think in Genesis five is all of the descendants of how long Adam. Yep. You see these guys are living hundreds and hundreds of years. And now that's been limited because of this immorality. And the specific part is not striving with man forever. So you had brought up the point, we don't see angels mentioned at any point up to this. So to assume that there's angels now involved is a little bit of a jump, especially when God speaks to man, not striving with man. Uh, and so so I think that there's some credence to this, at least this perspective of this view, that uh, could be a lot more about men and even potentially about the sons of Seth. Right. And then you just keep reading in Genesis, right? So let's... So you stop there at verse 3. Verse 4 was about the Nephilim. We read that earlier. So continue on verse 5 through 7. It says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually. So again, this is about man. It's not. Um, this isn't a condemnation of, of, of fallen angels here. That had already taken place. That's why we have Satan in the Garden of Eden. They had already fallen uh, before any of this took place. Yeah, and and in Genesis seven, to moving on with kind of that same um, same theme in verse twenty one, where it says, "All flesh that moved on the earth perished," and then on it says, "He blotted out every living thing." So, uh, with with this view, other than Noah being left, if it at least from the Sethian viewpoint, they would say that well, it, it couldn't have been supernatural because you see Nephilim later, on, right? And they're all blotted out and here. They're all blotted. So how how could they come? back if they were already blotted out here uh, so that all flesh that moved on the earth perish is kind of a key point as well. Right. And it goes back to that, say even that Jude passage, right? So if these, yeah. if the Jude passage as the supernatural viewpoints to says is referring back to these angels and God put them in bonds so they couldn't do again what they yep, did, they yeah. then how are they able to come again and produce Nephilim after the flood yep. if Nephilim were the direct result of angels having relations with humans? Mm-hmm. And um, so that's that's kind of the the idea here, and that's sort of where the Sethian view points to. So then the Sethian view then also points to the to the Nephilim being there afterwards, like in Numbers thirteen, where they see them uh, in the land of Canaan. They saw the Nephilim there, who were the sons of Anak that came from the Nephilim. Now this this argument does have some holes though, uh, as well, because uh, the the question is, well, then how did the how did the Nephilim exist afterwards too? Like where did they come from? Mm-hmm. Like why don't we see them even today? Yeah, and you know, explain where the Nephilim come from. Then after the flood, what what, what happened and where do they go from and all this stuff. And so, if we don't have any Nephilim today, this 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 is a tough way to explain it just by looking at this view. And so, I, I think both views have have some holes, and that's just where I go back to. We don't exactly know, without a shadow of a doubt, mm-hmm. who the Nephilim were, other than. They were definitely giants. Yeah. Um, and their origin is is much to be debated there. Uh, but I think we can start to figure out and get some answers on what happened to them, right? Yeah, yeah. So looking at what happened to the Nephilim, this is where we, we get to move on through the Bible a little bit and see Numbers 13, 33. So as you just brought up, it says, And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. So now we know that the, the Nephilim do continue to exist. Uh, this is, we know, translated generally giants mm-hmm. or fallen ones. Uh, and the sons of Anak. So now we have uh, a man, Anak, that he, or that these, these big people, these giants are connected to. 
uh, going forward and actually gets talked a lot about in, in Joshua and in the Samuels. Uh, so, Jackie, go ahead and take uh, Joshua 11. Yeah, Joshua 11, 21 through 22. Here's some things that happened to them. It says, Joshua came at that time and cut off the Anakim. Now, Anakim would be descendants of, An- of Anak. Uh, from the hill country, from Hebron, from Debir, from Anib, all from the hill country of Judah, all the way to the hill country in Israel, Joshua utterly destroyed them with their cities. So they were killed, wiped out in the land of Israel. And then it goes on and says in verse 22, there were no Anakim left in the land of the sons of Israel. Only in Gaza, Gath, and in Ashdod some remained. So the majority of them were wiped out and destroyed and killed off the face of the earth in the conquest of the promised land. Mm -hmm. The only ones left were in Gath, Gaza, and Ashdod. Uh, Me and you were talking about this earlier about the descendants of Ham. Mm -hmm. And we were trying to make sense of this, where where do they come from? And uh, we were talking about how potentially it could have been Ham's wife or there was maybe some genetics uh, left over from the Nephilim. But we know for sure that the people who lived in Gath and Gaza are descendants of Ham. That's Mm -hmm. Noah's son, Ham, who was the cursed one who uh, looked at his father's nakedness. And we know that uh, all the people in the land of Canaan and those from Gath and Gaza do come from Ham. So I think one of the one of the origins, if you will, of the Nephilim, particularly after the flood, is definitely Ham's bloodline. Yep. Yeah. And we see that in Genesis 10. So it kind of makes sense where you can connect those. Because uh, I think when I had first thought of this question, the, the part that I always struggled with the most is, regardless of whether it's supernatural or not, where is the connection between the Nephilim before the flood and the Nephilim <laughs> yeah. after? Because if they were just something before and then they got wiped out, how does, how does Goliath come back? Well, I, I think that when you look, like you said, the, the descendants of Ham, that makes the most sense to say maybe from Ham's wife that it was, they're connected, and you still have that genetic you know, code or, or writing in, in that bloodline. Right, and that's what we're saying, Ham's wife, because if it was just, if it was Noah's bloodline or Noah's wife's bloodline, we could see uh, descendants, the Nephilim, descendants of Anak and all, or like that, Anak and all, coming from Jepheth or, or, or uh, Seth, or not Seth, but um, Shem. Shem. We don't see that. Yep. Uh, we only see them in Ham's line. Yep. And so I find that interesting, too, because that goes back to say, OK, well, maybe it's more about these ungodly ones who turn their back on God. We looked at Genesis because Ham was cursed and all the people in the defense of Ham were definitely uh, where we get the Gentiles, the Canaanites and God, everything yeah. else. Yeah, enemies of God. So then going on, you got Judges one twenty. It says, and Hebron was given to Caleb, as Moses had said, and he drove out from it the three sons of Anak. So, again, pointing back to Anak, who was come from the, the Nephilim. And then first Samuel seventeen four it says, and there came out from the camp of the Philistines, a champion named Goliath of Gath, ah. whose height was six cubits in a span. Now just for reference, six cubits in a span is equal to about nine and a half feet. A cubit in, in measurement is approximately 18 inches. It's measured from the elbow to the extended finger tip. So that's where you get uh, roughly that range. And then a span, as it says, it's six cubits in a span. A span is about four inches. It was approximately the width of a man's hand. Uh, so that's that's where we get that measurement. And so Goliath coming in about nine and a half feet tall. We know even the tallest people we see in the NBA today are that seven, six range, which is still <laughs> humongous. But we're talking a guy who is two full feet taller. And I'm, I do not believe that he was super lanky no. or skinny. This was a big, strong man with huge, heavy armor. Uh, would be a terrifying man to come up against. Yeah, he was a, not a natural thing from what we can know. Right, he was a mighty warrior. Yeah, and and so 
I think definitely he would qualify as Nephilim, a descendant of, of Anak, and it's very clear that the only place they were left was in places Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod. And where was he from? Gath. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So then continue on. This is a longer passage, but we got four more Nephilim here, if you will. Second uh, Samuel 21, verses 15 through 22. It says, the war again between the Philistines and Israel. And David went down together with his servants, and they fought against the Philistines. And David grew weary. And Ishbi Benob, one of the descendants of the giants, whose spear weighed 300 shekels of bronze and who was armed with a new sword, thought to kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zeruai, came to his aid and attacked the Philistine and killed him. Then David's men swore to him, You shall no longer go out with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. After this, there was again war with the Philistines at Gob. And it says, The Sibachai and the Hushathite struck down Saph, who was one of the descendants of the giants. And there was again war with the Philistines at Gob and Elanon, the son of Jair Oregim, the Bethlehemite, struck down Goliath the Gittite. Now, this is not Goliath of Gath. This is Goliath of the Gittite. Common name in, common, in the Philistines. Apparently a common name for giants, right? Yep. Um, it says, whose shaft of the spear was like a weaver's beam. And there was again a war at Gath now, where there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number. And he was also descended from the, descended from the giants. And he taunted Israel. Jonathan, the son of Shimei, David's brother, struck him down. These four were descended from the giants of Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. So we have four more descendants of the giants all wiped out and killed. Yeah, that's those are probably ones that some of you guys listening are not very familiar with. <laughs> yeah. We hear a lot about Goliath yep. and that story. There's been a VeggieTales made about it, but you don't see a VeggieTales made about all of these guys, probably because their names are a lot harder to say, but you did a great job. Uh, with with a lot of those names, so well done. Uh, but we also see in Deuteronomy 3, verse 11, it says, For only Og, king of Bashan, was left of the remnant of the Raphaim. Behold, this bedstead was an iron bedstead, or his bedstead was an iron bedstead. It is in Rabbah of the sons of Ammon. Its length was nine cubits, and its width four cubits by that ordinary cubit. So now you're talking <laughs> Goliath, who was six and a half, or six cubits in a span, and now this bed was nine cubits. Yeah, so, so you're talking significantly... 13-foot-long bed? Yeah, like yeah. this This is a big bed. And if you have a 13-foot-long bed, it probably means that you're 10, 11, 12 feet tall. So this this man was a big, big man. Yeah. And so uh, we know that he was the only one left, and they end up getting, he ends up getting wiped out too. And then you got Deuteronomy uh, 2, 10 through 11. It says the Amim formerly lived there, which means that they're, they're gone. Yep. Um, the Amim formerly lived there, a people great and many and tall as the Anakim. Like the Anakim, they also were counted as Raphaim, but the Moabites called them Amim. And just the idea there is that there was lots of them. Yep. There were lots of Nephilim. There were lots of these giant people, and they're called, they're, all these names are synonymous. Anakim, Raphaim, Amim, uh, Nephilim. All these are synonymous with giants, uh, great men of renown, mighty warriors, and ultimately it says they firmly lived there. They, they were all wiped out. Yeah. So uh, when we ask the question, just to, just to kind of wrap up, who were the Nephilim? It's clear that they were giants. Uh, as you just mentioned, all the, all the different names that we have for them, uh, how they were before the flood, after the flood, that much is certain. But their origin is where we find much debate. The two most common explanations make a lot of sense, but they both have holes. The truth is the Bible doesn't say much about them or why they got so big. But the big takeaway 
pun intended, is that God is bigger and greater than the Nephilim. Giants are no match for him. Today, we might not be facing literal giant humans, but we do battle with things that seem so big that they are giants to us. Looking at what the Bible has to say about the Nephilim ought to be great encouragement to us when we face our giants today. God is bigger, God is greater, and he uses everything in this world, including the Nephilim, to ultimately point us back to him. That concludes today's show. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate your support. God bless, and we'll talk to you all next week. Thank you for listening to the 1717 Podcast. If you have any questions, please connect with us on Twitter or email us at 1717pod at gmail.com.